This is huge. When did this happen? Wednesday. This jacket has completely changed my life. When I leave the house in this, it's with a whole different confidence. Like tonight, I might have been a little nervous, but inside this jacket, I am composed, grounded, secure that I can meet any social challenge. Can I say one thing to you? And I say this with an unblemished record of staunch heterosexuality. Absolutely. It's fabulous. <laughs> and I'll tell you something else. I'm not even gonna ask you. I wanna know, but I'm not gonna ask. You'll tell me when you feel comfortable. So what was it, 400? <laughs> 500? Did you pay 500 for this? Over six? Can't be seven. <laughs> don't, don't tell me you paid $700 for this jacket. Did you pay $700 for this jacket? Is that what you're saying to me? You are sick. Is that what you paid for this jacket? Over 700? What did you pay for this jacket? I won't say anything. I want to know what you paid for this jacket. Oh, my God. $1,000? You paid $1,000 for this jacket. All right, I'm walking out of here right now thinking you paid $1,000 for this jacket unless you tell me different. Welcome to Talking Sci-Fi, the podcast where we discuss everything we know about the show about nothing. I am Dando. Today we're here to discuss Season 2, Episode 3. It is the Jacket Gnome, of course, joined right now by the better half of this team. Here is Mr. Guy Davis. How are you doing, sir? Honestly, I thought you were talking about somebody else, the better half. Oh, that's me. <laughs> Very nice of you to say so. And good to be here, Dando. How are you travelling, my man? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. We're coming into spring. Weather's improving. Restrictions are easing. It's good times here in uh, Geelong, Australia, isn't it? It is indeed. But when is it not good times in Geelong, Australia? Uh, actually, no, I take that back. <laughs> no, it's... Uh, it's Things are on the upswing. Sort of, it's it's a slight upswing, but I get I think the feeling I get the feeling that things are on the improve. Well, I hope that things are on the improve. Now it's fitting that we uh, discuss the jacket this week because for the first time in I reckon over two years, I went out last weekend and actually bought some new clothes for myself. And I've got to say, I felt very much like Jerry in this episode. I can't say whether you know my clothes were in fashion or whether they're actually good clothing or not, but you just feel so much more uplifted if you feel like you can just meet the world head on and just go just go take everything on with this with this uh this new wardrobe don't you i think you do i think you feel like the sort of the best version of yourself when you've uh you know invest in something that you feel works for you color wise size wise something that's a bit more on trend that's a bit more sort of in fashion I'm not saying that <laughs> anything I bought recently is sort of on the cutting edge of uh, of couture or anything like that. But uh, yeah, you're right. I think new, yeah, clothes make the man, as they say, and new clothes make you feel like a new man or new person. So there we go. Now, am I just uncool and out of touch and out of yes. fashion, or was this? Oh, yeah. oh there's, more to that, there's more to that question. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but was this an ugly jacket that Jerry was wearing? I think it was a very 90s jacket. Certainly the um, <laughs> the lining of it was terrible. I don't know who decided that those two would work in any universe, even if it was something you were never going to see. I mean, of course people are going to see the lining of your jacket, so why it would be so garish, so bloody barbershop quartet, I don't know. I wonder if that's just something they wrote into the episode, like they had specifically made for the show. I think they had to have. Yeah, you would have. They, I've, I've yeah. never seen lining like that on any coat. <laughs> Certainly not that loud. I mean, I've seen sort of pinstriped or striped lining of a of a sports jacket or something like that, but never to that degree, and never that kind of uh, ye oldy ice cream parlor pink and white color scheme. It's just so ugly. But on the on the outside, I was like, yeah, it's not bad. I mean, I'm partial to good suede jacket, and I do have one in my uh, in my cupboard that. Is all this episode kind of hit home for me because yes, I threw down a rather large large amount of money on this coat maybe a year ago, and I think I've worn it maybe five times. But do you feel like a real man every time you wear it though? Oh, I feel like a chump every time I wear it because it's like I've got to wear this more so I can break it in so it looks good on me, it looks comfortable on me, it looks like the kind of thing that I've I've hitchhiked around Australia wearing it. It's that kind of jacket. No, it's still got that kind of 
hey, you just bought that last week, did you? No, I've had it for a year. So, I mean, <laughs> now, admittedly, admittedly, we haven't been going out as much as, you know, as a population. Admittedly, it's swayed and, you know, with Victoria's sort of changeable temperatures, like, I could wear this out, but it looks like it's going to bucket down raining and then this jacket is ruined, even though I've sprayed it with all manner of, you know, water protectant and that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, look, I, I'm partial to the to my jacket and I'm partial to the jacket that Jerry wears in this. I don't think it's that ugly. Yeah, I just looked at it and went, yeah, I would never wear that, but I also wasn't old enough in 1991 to understand what fashion was like in that era. I don't know, but, you, but was your jacket that you've purchased recently, is it very similar to the one Jerry wears in this, in this episode? Or besides the, the lining, of course. <laughs> um, sort of, kind of. I mean, it's like a, the style is like your traditional sort of Levi's denim jacket, but in this yeah. sort of, yeah, ver- a very nice brown suede. You realise you're going to have to post a picture of this in the Patreon group because we must see this jacket. We must see Mr. Davis in the suede. Okay, I will uh, yeah, slap, I'll, I'll slap it on, take a selfie, and then um, yeah, share it for all to see. And you know, then the public can make up their mind. It's like, oh, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> Five times is enough, yes, Davis. No, yes. <laughs> give, give that away to some person who has no jacket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, overall, though, I really enjoyed this episode. I think it's been my favourite. I know it's only the third episode into the season, but I think it's been my favourite of the season so far. I would have to agree. I really like this one. Yeah, I mean, this. I know I say, you know, something is very Seinfeld, but this does feel very Seinfeld. Yeah, that scene at the restaurant, it was like 10 minutes, or maybe not quite 10 minutes, but it felt like a long time of them just having a conversation really about nothing. But I was watching this going, this is quintessential Seinfeld. There's not, there's nothing happening, but it feels like there's so much happening. Yeah, the dialogue and all the exchanges, and in the wrong hands or in the hands of just like, I mean, if you were overhearing this at a restaurant or a cafe or something, you'd be kind of like, eh, yeah, these people clearly know each other, but you know, you'd zone in and out of the conversation. But if you put it in the hands of people who have crack comic timing or good intuition about characters and things like that, yeah, it just sings. And uh, yeah, that's the case with the with the exchanges and the dialogue and and the jokes in this episode. It's funny you say that. Is it, is it pronounced Lawrence Tierney? Lawrence Tierney, yeah. Tierney, yes. Now, I know him, obviously, as being a Simpsons fan as Don Brodka from Marge Be Not Proud mm-hmm. as the security guard um, who catches Bart shoplifting. But he wasn't known for his comedic timing, really. He was more of a serious bad guy actor. You know, he, but he absolutely nailed the role in this. It was fantastic. It was so... Like, he was the highlight of the episode. He was so great. Very much so, yeah. Look, he's... um. You say you know him as a Simpsons guy from, from his role in that. As a Tarantino guy, I know him from his role in Reservoir Dogs as, uh, yeah, yeah. as crime boss Nice Guy Eddie. Hang on, was he Nice Guy? No, no, he was Joe. Sorry, his son was Nice Guy Eddie. Or maybe I've got it the other way around. Anyway... But, um, but yeah, he was in Reservoir Dogs. And, yeah, I mean, he was primarily uh, in a lot of sort of B, B-grade crime movies in the, uh, in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, a bit of an impos- imposing presence there. I think um, in, uh, in Reservoir Dogs, they actually refer to him they, when they describe him, say, you know, the Fantastic Four? Thing. Motherfucker looks just like the Thing. And he, and <laughs> he does. You look at him, he's like, he kind of does. Yeah, so, um, yeah, but he does have that very kind of old school, middle 20th century, sturdy American manhood kind of thing where it's like, what's that you're drinking? Beer? I only drink whiskey. He can make the most macho guy feel like a wuss, can't he? Oh, absolutely. What's that you're eating? A vegetable? I only eat steak. Only steak. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and anything, anything you do, you could arm wrestle a grizzly bear and this guy would probably go, eh. <laughs> But uh, him and uh, Jason Alexander were like the perfect duo, though, because it couldn't be any more opposites. And Jason Alexander's delivery and just him being sh- like just completely intimidated by him was just perfect. Yeah, George doubts everything. This man doubts nothing. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so, no, you're right. He's perfect casting for this. Unexpected casting, absolutely. But uh- yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, because I think is this the first time we've had a big guest star on Seinfeld so far? I'm just trying to think back. We've had people who have gone on to become stars. Was this was this the first one who was already a star? Yeah, he wasn't even really a star. I mean, when yeah, when, I so. when did this episode um, actually? Ninety one. Ninety one. So it was after Reservoir Dogs. No, I think this is actually pre Reservoir Dogs. Wasn't Reservoir Dogs? Or was it ninety two? Was it? It may have been ninety two. Let's because uh, oh, let's... yeah, Pulp Fiction was ninety four. Yeah, I get the feeling Reservoir Dogs was like ninety two. Now, but do you feel like do you feel like Tierney's one of those guys who? Everyone knows him from something, but they might not even know who what his name is. 
look, in all honesty, and I'm, I'm not trying to sort of sound like a dickhead here, but I mean, I consider myself a bit of a film buff. And prior to Reservoir Dogs, you know, I couldn't have picked Lawrence Tierney out of a lineup. Okay. See, I, I know him for his voice. I heard the voice and went, that's Don Brodka. <laughs> <laughs> but when was his episode of The Simpsons aired? When did that go? To oh, work? that was until I'd say probably ninety six ish. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wrecking. I'm I'm thinking that uh, you know a bona fide film buff and like Tarantino was like, oh yeah, Lawrence Tierney. He was in such and such and such and such and such and such. And I'm like, oh, what? I don't know any of those movies. <laughs> but then post Reservoir Dogs, everyone goes, it's the guy from Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, see, see, Lawrence. You're right. He was. Um, he was Joe, and Reservoir Dogs was ninety two. Yeah, yeah. So, um, oh, look, I mean, I don't doubt that he was probably working and relatively steadily in, you know, bit parts and guest roles and all that kind of stuff up until Reservoir Dogs. I think you would have to be a real a real film nerd to go, oh, yeah, it's that guy from Born to Kill, I mean, which I think is one of his better known B movies. But yeah, you said, would he be one of the biggest guest stars at Seinfeld had? I mean, I don't know. Maybe Kevin Dunn from the pre from the previous oh, season. Of yeah, yeah. But even then, I don't know if your average Joe would be able to sort of pick Kevin Dunn out again out of a lineup and say, "Oh, it's that guy." But you might go, "Oh, it's the dad from Transformers," which of course came later. Or, "Oh, he was in that movie Dave with Kevin Klein," or he was in such and such or whatever. When I say biggest star, I, should, I probably should have said it was this the first time there was a face on the show that people knew. But even still, what you're saying is people probably didn't know who it was. Quite maybe. Yeah, quite maybe. I don't think that's actually even actually a phrase. Uh, quite possibly, let me say. But perfect casting nonetheless. 100%. And there's actually a really interesting story from the set. Did you read about this where he <gasps> I did. stole the butcher's knife? How scary would that have been? So, listeners, what happened was on the set, uh, Lawrence was in the kitchen of um, Jerry's apartment and he wanted to steal a butcher's knife from the knife block. And... People obviously saw him take it and Jerry confronted him. I wouldn't say he like, confronted him, confronted him, but just said, hey, Lawrence, what's in your jacket? And to make it out like it was all a big joke, he just goes, oh, yeah, you know, I was just thought it'd be a bit funny. And he did the psycho <laughs> to, to Jerry. And uh, Jason Alexander and Julia were just like, apparently on the on set going, that was scary. Let's not have this guy back again because they were, they were planning on having him back because he was so good. But when things like that happen, you probably go, Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, we don't we don't quite have a handle on whether this guy's quote unquote joking or joking or what. Yeah, no one needs a no one needs a loose cannon. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm I've uh, looked up Lawrence Tierney on the Internet Movie Database to see mm. what else he was uh, he was in. Yeah, yeah. Simpsons episode was ninety five. Ninety five. Um, okay. Yep. What else was he in? He was in Junior. The, that movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger was pregnant. Are um, <laughs> um, oh, you pregnant? Yeah. What, what are you? You're a man carrying a baby. What's going on? <laughs> but see, look, prior to Reservoir Dogs, what's he in here? Oh, he was in The Naked Gun. <laughs> he was on an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Get the fuck out. What? Yeah. What was he? he Star Trek. Cyrus Redblock was his name. Sounds like a bad guy. <laughs> It sounds like a very Lawrence Tierney kind of name. <laughs> yeah, look, he's working fairly consistently. Got some uh, some high-profile titles in here. Um, he was in the a very good werewolf movie called Silver Bullet from 1985. Okay. He was in Arthur, the Dudley Moore movie, where Dudley Moore was a drunk. So basically, he, he was able to make a living, which is all that really matters when you're an Oh, actor, God, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, hang on. It looks like... <laughs> yeah, it looks... Uh, yeah. It was a, it was a, yeah, consistent, consistent, you might say. But uh, yeah, I really think it wasn't until, um, for our generation at least, it really wasn't until Reservoir Dogs that uh, he sort of took on a bit of a, um, had a bit of a second act. Well, it's a shame they um, couldn't bring him back because he was a bit of a whack job, it seems, because the thing is they, they wanted to bring this character back. And it's a shame because we never got to see Elaine's parents, either of them, ever again. And she, mm. um, it's been, she, was, she suggested that they have Mary Tyler Moore play her mum, but that never eventuated. That would because he was such a standout actor in this role, you really couldn't replace him. It wasn't like, you know, in the pilot where they replaced Jerry's dad. He was such a memorable uh, character on the on the on the show that it, anyone who replaced him just wouldn't quite live up to the to the um the bar that he set here. I don't think. I say with all due respect to the actor who played Jerry's dad in the pilots, like I don't remember him at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, on his gravestone, nobody remembers you. <laughs> it's like who? <laughs> That's what it would have on his gravestone. Oh, sorry, sir. We all do all due respect to, all to due him respect. and his family. <laughs> um, having look, just another little quick side note. I. 
One other thing I knew Lawrence Tierney for, and I haven't seen all of it, but he starred in a movie made in 1993 called Red, and it's based on a true story. And it's basically the Mo Sislak story <laughs> because um, it's yeah based on a true story about this bartender who keeps getting prank calls and they rile him up so much that he just goes in and off on these really sort of long psycho sweary rants at this person who keeps tormenting him down the phone with these silly prank calls. I don't know where you can find it, but I, yeah, I remember seeing a bit of it back, yeah, back in the nineties or so. And uh, yeah, he was kind of made for that because he, he's just this imposing guy with a gravelly voice yeah, telling people, telling this guy down the phone to go fuck himself or something along those lines. He, <laughs> he does have a great voice. He's the kind of person that's surprised he didn't have more work in, um, in voice work, you know what yeah. I mean, for, for animation and video games, that kind of thing, because he's just, he's so scary. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he was like Alton Bennis off camera as well. Hmm. It's like when we talked about The Mandalorian, how Nick Nolte was playing the voice of that uh, of that little monkey dude or that little dog face dude. And I'm trying to imagine Nick Nolte, who's, you know, one of the most macho guys alive, sort of standing in a in a voice booth going, what am I doing now? What? What's this character? <laughs> Who the fuck you know, is that? <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Lauren Stanley like, what am I, a cartoon rat? What's going on? <laughs> this isn't worth it. <laughs> but who knows? That is a good one, Stu. <laughs> yeah. One of my favourites. What was your favourite moment from the episode? L- look, there's um that whole bit you mentioned, just the whole utterly uncomfortable, cringy sort of scene with uh, with Jason Alexander and Lawrence Tierney, I think was marvellous. Uh, yeah, just one of those things that you're sort of, you're almost putting your hand to your face and watching it through a slit in your fingers because it's like, oh, no, it's so, not, it's so <laughs> uncomfortable to watch. Um, but there's no punchlines. It's just all in the delivery of what they're saying. Yeah, it makes it so awkward. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I would have to say that would, uh, that would be it. There's, yeah, I think... Aside from Lawrence Tierney, Jason Alexander may well be the the MVP of this episode. He had a lot of great one-liners and uh, yeah. So he he had, he had my favorite line in the whole episode. So I love a good George scheme. So when they're in the bathroom and George is like, "We'll just go," and then <laughs> Joe says, "What do we say?" He goes, "We say we're frightened and we have to go home." <laughs> <laughs> I think it's where Joe says something along the lines of, "Yeah, that's that's good." He'll bonk our heads together like Murray or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yet, when George is trying to plot against something, when he's trying to plot his way out of an idea, kind of when he was making up the Art Vandalay uh, scheme, just things yeah. like that, they're always so great. I'm trying to remember who... I'm sorry, I've written it down, the line down here. I'm trying to remember who said it to who, but it sounds like Jason would be saying it to Jerry. I mean, I think Jerry called George an idiot. And then, oh, yeah, who am I? Like, yeah. <laughs> What are you, Bud Abbott? Call me an idiot. <laughs> I love it when he sort of gets, I think George takes a lot of shit and, and some part of him goes, you know, some part of me deserves this. But you know, occasionally he'll sort of like, what are you having a go at me for? And I just yeah. love that. That, was, that, was, that. that was like a bit too much. Calm down, that mate. Was, yeah, it's like sometimes, sometimes even your close friends who will rag on you will occasionally step over the line and be like, what are you, Bud Abbott? Call me an idiot? What? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I have an unblemished record of staunch heterosexuality. <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> Could you spell that, please? No. Next question. All righty. Trivia, Mr. Davis. All right. You, you uh, go first. I shall first, kick sir. off the proceedings. Yes. Right. Which composer went crazy from listening to one particular note, and which note was it? Oh. Let me have a look through my notes here. Oh, because no, I'm cheating. I'm, oh, my notes are far from comprehensive, so I probably didn't write this down. But there's a chance that I may have. No, I did not. <laughs> okay, um, I'm, ta- I'm taking the L on this one. What? It, who? Who was it? And what was the note? It was Robert Schumann, and according to Jerry, it was the A. Oh, okay then. Um, what is Jerry's drink of choice when they meet for a cocktail? That would be a cranberry juice with two limes. That is correct. One point to you. My question is, what is George's drink of choice? <gasps> oh. Club soda? With? Oh. No ice. What? No ice, yes, because what does Mr. Bennis get annoyed by? <laughs> <laughs> With extra ice. <laughs> uh, my next question will be, actually, no, you've got, you've got one more. Give it to hit me with it. Oh, do I? Okay. Then. Um, what does Kramer's two minutes actually stretch out to? Uh, 2,000 years. That is my second question. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, actually, no, no, it was 20 minutes. I'm thinking of... um. Two thousand years is when he's um right. 
His lifespan will be. Actually, my question is, yeah, how long will his life be? 2,000 years. <laughs> but I, bl- I believe it was over 20 minutes, right? Is that correct? Uh, 20 minutes is, in fact, correct. You just can't trust Kramer, can you? Oh, God, no. <laughs> if you feel like having yourself a time, then check out our new podcast, Going Down to South Park, where we go back and revisit every episode of the iconic series, dissecting the stories, reveling in chef sing-alongs, and chuckling at the occasional fart joke. Going Down to South Park is available now for free on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you're a fan of everything we do here at Talking Seinfeld and want to show some support, you can do so by joining the Talking Seinfeld family on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per month, you can get access to a whole range of exclusive content, including bonus podcasts, access to our exclusive Facebook community, prize draws, Zoom calls with Guy and myself, as well as early access to all the other shows we host here on the Four Finger Discount Network, including this, the one about friends, going down to South Park, Four Finger Discount, the movie guys, oh, and let's not forget our Patreon-exclusive series, Tales of Futurama. So go ahead and join the Talking Seinfeld family today at patreon.com slash discount. Okay, so this originally aired uh, 1991 on February the 6th. The episode kicks off with some stand-up. It is Jerry discussing the fact that he hates buying new clothes, hate having to choose new clothes to wear, and he thinks that one day Earth should just have a uniform. And it does make sense to an extent. You know, you watch all different uh, alien movies, and for some reason, they've always got a uniform. Why, why don't we have a uniform? Everyone's in jumpsuits. Now, it, it got me thinking about another thing, though. I mean, apparently, I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but it's one of those, when the legend is better than truth, print the legend stories, that Einstein, or at least or some other brainy, notoriously brainy person, only had variations on one outfit. They had like a closet full of blue slacks, white shirts, and tweed jackets, and they never had to think about their clothing. They just had like, okay, this pair, this pair of pants is clean, putting them on, putting on my shirt, putting on my jacket, and I'm ready. And they didn't have to expend any other brain energy or imagination on the, what they were wearing that day, and they could devote that brain energy to the theory of relativity or whatever. It makes sense. But is, is, there, is there two different photos of Einstein wearing different clothing? Uh, yeah, there probably are. But it, it, <laughs> uh, So, yeah, that story is thrown out the window and therefore has no credibility. But I'm pretty sure I've heard that story <laughs> about someone brainy. Or at least, oh, maybe I'm complaining. It does, but it, do, it does actually make sense, though. If you want to focus your brain power on something else, choosing clothes shouldn't be one of them. True, true. But um, but it's like food. I mean, it's like, you know, who wants to eat the same perfectly balanced meal for day after day? No, you got to shake it up and sometimes have steak and sometimes have not steak. <laughs> and then have pizza and, you know, brisket <laughs> and then more pizza. Well, yeah, I mean, I had a... Delightful um, chicken tandoori sandwich for lunch today, and oh, couldn't be happier about it. That's the thing. Bad food makes you feel good. So, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and some, and, but bad clothes, however, do not. So the episode kicks off with Jerry and Elaine, and they are clothes shopping, and they discuss how they, they've always got stuff in the back. I've actually never encountered this. I've never had a. a Clothes store rep go, let me just check in the back for something else. It's, it's just never happened to me. Has it happened to you? It probably has, actually. I think I tend to ask, oh, this isn't in my size. Do you have it in stock in the back? And they'll say, eh, we'll check. And they probably, like we said in a recent episode about the Simpsons, about extended warranty, they've probably gone at the back looking through the one-way mirror and just going, this dickhead thinks we got extra stock at the back. <laughs> <laughs> but that whole front-back thing is, is, as we said, classic Seinfeld. I mean, it's just taking a very kind of everyday thing and yeah turning it into if not comic gold then certainly gom- comic silver or bronze yeah and i did get a kick out of jerry's thai ca- uh thai car wash <laughs> 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 and it's just little things like that that make these scenes feel more real you know just little bits little bits of banter like that um so the woman comments on um elaine's book that she's holding and jerry points out that her dad wrote it uh, and they sort of plant the seed here that he's a grumpy old man because, you know, he didn't want a bigger fan base. You know, he didn't want fans. Mm. <laughs> so Elaine says, uh, they've, used now, they've used this quite a bit. So Elaine wants Jerry to come to dinner to you know, help her out with her dad, be there for her. They've used this so much where either Jerry or Elaine need the other one to, you know, I need you to come to this party with me. I can't do it by myself. It's sort of just a way to get, they keep using the same way to get the characters into the same scene. I don't know. To me, it makes sense though. I mean, these strike me as the kind of people who have an external sort of confidence about them, but they're a little bit needing that regard. They need other people to see that they can attract other people. 
They need, they also need another person there that they're comfortable with that they can shit talk other people with. There's absolutely that as well. But I think you know, <laughs> I think if they if they entered a party alone, they would have this feeling like. Is everyone talking about the fact that I can't, you know, attract a partner, that I'm that undesirable or whatever? I think they would sort of get that neurotic about it. So they need to have each other as the uh, sort of as their wingman, but uh, as a re- as a reinforcement or a confirmation, then they're not completely unlovable or unlikable. Oh, no, of course, I've got a, someone who likes hanging out with me. Oh, that's what that's the way I view it anyway. Uh, they find Jerry finds the suede jacket. The, the very expensive suede jacket. We never actually find out how much it is, but I suppose we're supposed to assume that it's more than $1,000. I think so. I mean, I, I like the way that they don't actually put a number figure on it. Definitely, I mean, yeah. Leave it up to you, your imagination. That That is high, or I paid what it costs, all that stuff. I mean, it gives you an indication that you've paid more than you should for this thing. Your rational brain is saying, that's too much. That's too much for this jacket. And, you know, just the, the id or the, the, you know, the sort of impulsive party range of saying, yeah, but I'm worth it. <laughs> or or treat, treat yourself just this once. How good is it, though, when you exchange that money and you have that item in your hand and it's yours, you own it now? Oh, yeah. And again, it's a kind of like you may not wear it out of the store or whatever, but when the first time you're wearing it, it's like, I think, yeah, of course you don't have the price tag on it unless, of course, you've left the price tag on it. But you somehow get this feeling that everyone's looking at yeah, that person can clearly afford that jacket. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're strutting. You've got the BGs playing in your head. You you're a do. real man. <laughs> they point out the pink lining and you just know, since this is a sitcom, that that's going to come back to bite him in some way. Oh, and yes. See, in Seinfeld, they very rarely say something that doesn't mean something later down the track. Of course. It, it's, the, it's the gun in the first act. Yes, exactly. So Jerry uh, is now in his apartment. And he just can't take the jacket off. He's sitting there in his PJs, but he's still wearing the jacket. And it's very much like that. When you wear like a, a good, good shirt or whatever, you just want to wear it all day long. Oh, absolutely. Even when no one's around. Before yeah. we, before we uh, spend a bit of time in Jerry's apartment, though, one thing we need to point out, the salesperson's seal of approval. Now, of course, yes. they're trying to, of course, they're trying to sell or they're trying to get commission or whatever. And we're all smart people. We all kind of know that again in the back of our heads. But at the same time, it's like... Hearing that from someone, like, oh, that looks good on you. Oh, oh, you wear that one. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> take it all. Just take, take, take everything. <laughs> Approve of me. So, yeah, we're in Jerry's apartment. Kramer walks in. And he praises, uh, praises Jerry for the jacket, uh, points out the pink lining. So, again, they're making you aware this jacket has pink lining. Just mm. don't forget about that pink lining. Uh, Kramer, <laughs> wants, Kramer wants to know the price and Jerry just will not tell him. New jacket. What do you think? That's beautiful. Is it me? That's definitely you. Really? That's more you than you've ever been. <laughs> Shay, what is with the pink lining? I don't know. It's got a pink lining. So what'd you pay for this? I paid what it costs. <laughs> I like I like what you said though about when you bought something new, you do tend to sort of wear it around for a bit and you know. Mm-hmm. You give it a bit of a road test before you actually wear it outside. You know, you're sort of checking your angles in your various mirrors and lights in your house and like doing a little fashion prey. You either do that with new clothes or if and when you lose a bit of weight, you sort of go through your cupboard and like, oh, I can fit back into this. Hey, looking good. I mean, there's that pair of jeans that you've had for five or six years and there always comes a moment where you don't quite fit into them and you go, uh-oh. Like there's, there's one, there's, everyone has that one pair of pants in their wardrobe that they base their health off. If you oh, can't yeah. fit into that particular pair of pants, then you know that you're overweight. But if you can, it's all right. Go eat that burger. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, I've, I've got my, my everyday jeans and pairs on either side of that, of that particular number. So it's like, yeah, I've had a couple too many cheeseburgers. Uh, I've got to go up to the top drawer. I don't like going up to the top drawer because that in- <laughs> indicates that I've been, you know, not taking care of myself. I've got to go back down a few, or I've got to go down a few steps to the bottom of the ladder to, you know, get that get that pair of uh, jeans I bought on that trip to America seven years ago, <laughs> when I when I'd actually lost a bit of weight. This is a trip. Well, by the way, if you didn't guess that this was a actual based on actual fact, it is. <laughs> I. <laughs> Back in like 2013, I'd lost a heap of weight for some reason, and that year I was, I, I took a holiday to New York, and I went to Bloomingdale's. And um, the thing about uh, jeans over there, Levi's especially, are a lot less expensive than they are in Australia. So I thought, oh, buy a big here. 
and um, they had a better range as well. And I said, okay, um, yeah, I like this style. Do you have them in this size? Oh, do you think I could maybe go that size a bit lower? Oh, yeah, of course you could, sir. And of course, I listened to the sales assistant like a chump because I've, I don't think I've, I think I've worn that pair of jeans once, and I still have them. It's like one day I'll get back into you. One day. So, so, so you fit into them on the day, obviously. I did on the day, but even then, it was kind of like, mm, are these all that comfortable? I don't know. Maybe I should go the size up. <laughs> but you just felt so uncomfortable, like so anxious. You didn't want to let the, let the uh, shop clerk down. <laughs> well, he he was a cool Bloomingdale's guy. <laughs> Yeah, I completely understand. The problem yeah. is you never leave America lighter than when you arrived. Well, that's true. I mean, I went to Katz's Deli that night and had like a, the, a pastrami sandwich that could feed a family. <laughs> but I, that I, but was I, still, entree. I still have not thrown out those jeans and I never will. No, it's, impo- it's important to have yourself a goal. You may never reach it, but it's important to have it there. Because can you imagine how good you're going to feel that one day, one day when you will fit into those jeans. I think it'll be like 20 years from now when I'm an old man who's just, all my body's Can't at- put weight on. atrophied. <laughs> yeah. <it's> like- <laughs> uh, so, so Kramer asks for the leather jacket, Jerry's old jacket, because he's not going to be wearing that one anymore. He's going to wear his new suede jacket and Jerry obliges. That's another thing about this episode. Another sort of moment of Jerry just not caring about money. You know, he spent over a thousand bucks on his jacket. You know, oh, well. These things happen. You can have it, Kramer. And you can keep my old jacket too. Yeah, Kramer using the the, the, the whole jujitsu thing, that, that's good karma for you. But um, I, do, I do not subscribe to this theory of, you know, just because you brought a, a, bought a new jacket does not mean you're going to throw out the old one. No. And where does, where does your friend... I mean, obviously, it fits the Kramer character, but if my friend said to me, oh, well, you got a new jumper. Can I have that other one that you fit well into? I'd go, no, mate. No, that's my, that's my, that's my backup. Yeah. If I... If I saw that someone had bought a new jacket that was similar to a jacket they had. They said, are you going to keep both jackets? I'll, I'll make you an offer for that other one, which I think is kind of nice. And if they consider it, then fine. But no, you're not going to say, hey, give me your jacket now that you've got that other one. Having said that, I've got a closet full of jackets here. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very partial to a good coat. I love a good jacket. Yeah, I haven't got many jackets, but whenever I wear, it's sort of trench coat, but it sort of has the trench coaty kind of look. And whenever I wear it, I, f- I just feel stylish. <laughs> uh, so George enters singing uh, Master of the House from Les Mis. Mm-hmm. Gets, it's been stuck in his head. I'm like this, except I'm not singing Les Mis songs. I'm singing Wiggles tracks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Wiggles on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we get the, uh, the You Idiot moment. Master of the house, doling out the charm. Ready with a handshake and an open palm. Tells us all she can. Loves to make a stir. What is that Everyone song? Everyone appreciates it. Oh, it's from Les Miserables. I went to see it last week. I can't get it out of my head. I just keep singing it over and over. It just comes out. I have no control over it. I'm singing it on elevators, buses. Singing it in front of clients. It's, it's taking over my life. <laughs> You know, Schumann went mad from that. Artie Schumann from Camp Hotchapi? No, you idiot. What are you, Bud Abbott? What do you call me? I did get a kick here out of uh, George just going insane trying to work out how much jo- uh, Jerry's jacket was. Mm. Like it, just, it just escalates. 400? Four, it was 400. 600? 700, I am leaving this apartment. I am leaving thinking that you spent $1,000 unless you tell me. Oh, my God. <laughs> but um, but it's also, it's great how confident Jerry walks in. Like, he's just expecting the compliments. I love the look on oh, Jerry's yeah. face. I thought he acted that really well. Well, he says that what this jacket has completely changed my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can meet any social challenge. <laughs> <laughs> So this is where Kramer he uh, he enters and he asks for a solid, but they're they're already running kind of late for dinner. They want to get there. They don't want to go, but they have to for a lane. Mm. But what Kramer wants them to do is sit in the car because he's going to be double parked. He has to randomly just pick up some birds from a magician. He's going to be watching the uh, the pigeons for him. Uh, you know, this is also going to be leading to something as well. Oh, you know, yeah. the, the Kramer the Kramer story always pays off in the end. Mm. And uh, so, but the thing is, they 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 turn Kramer down. He's still polite about it. He's never rude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, even like they're just like, no, thanks, mate. No, sorry, we can't do it. He's like, oh, well, all right, whatever. <laughs> well, I think Kramer's always got something else on the ball or he's always got yeah, plans B, plan. C, D, E, and F. <laughs> yes, definitely. 
So they're at the restaurant. Jerry and George arrive very, very nervous and they notice Mr. Bennis is sitting there. Unfortunately, though, Elaine has not arrived yet, has she? No, she has not. I, I like what they said. I don't think it, there's been an appointment in my life where I wanted the other guy to show up. And honestly, that, I think it's one of the one of the reasons Seinfeld has been so successful and so enduring. It speaks a lot of home truths, truths that you may not even, well, you, you won't admit to yourself or may not even fully understand. But there are times when you're like, uh, yeah, do I have to do this? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I completely understand. <laughs> so many times Nicholas says to me, go see what your friends are doing. Get out and do something. <laughs> it's like, uh, do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Bennis. Yeah. Uh, I- I'm Jerry Elaine's friend. This is George. It's a great thrill to meet you, <laughs> sir. <laughs> How uncomfortable did you feel, especially now in 2020, when he started coughing all over his hand? <laughs> I was like, oh, COVID. <laughs> I know. It's so weird how you're sort of viewing a lot of things through that lens now. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just ruined this for me. Yeah. yeah people shaking hands. Oh. Immediately, though, he portrays himself as somebody you probably don't want to be associating with. <laughs> and, and he probably doesn't want you to be associating with him anyway. Absolutely not. They order their drinks. Basically, they order little kitty drinks compared to what, what this guy wants. And then I think there's a George that says to him, do you like ice? Do I like ice? <laughs> don't, don't you find you get more if you don't have ice? <laughs> just, just, just the stare. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. I mean, sometimes, you know, the, the small talk in a Seinfeld episode just really, as I said, sings and zings and all that kind of stuff. And then sometimes you have those small talk moments where it's just like, yeah, it's a real Ralph Wigger moment. So, so do you like stuff? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've all had that moment where we just do not know what to discuss with another person. We just have nothing in common. And you know, yeah. no matter what comes out of your mouth, it's going to be a fail. But you just have to say something because silence is worse than a shit conversation, I think. Absolutely. I, I remember once I, um, I was seeing this girl and her parents came in for the state and her younger sister. And... Um, I was, you know, getting along fine with the parents. And then the younger sister, I was sort of made a little bit of conversation with the younger sister and she was like, oh, she was at uni studying such and such. And I basically said, we're not going to have anything to talk about, are we? She said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and we, I think we both sort of acknowledged it in a, in a fun kind of way. But as I, as I left that night, I was kind of like, I hope no one was insulted by that because I meant it in a kind of in a as nice a way as possible and a trying to break the ice kind of thing is like we're not really gonna be we can we'll try really hard but it's never gonna work is it nope is that because <laughs> did you walk in the room and go now listen here future sister-in-law I don't like you you don't like me and then she go well, I like you and you're like oh <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so it's just. Awkward conversation after awkward conversation. They're discussing Elaine being punctual. Um, and then, but, you know, sometimes she's late, sometimes she's not. And then, the, the oh, it's raining outside. And he's like, don't anybody tell me it's going to rain. I stick my head out the window. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just like, what do I do here? It's just every time they reach for their drinks, it was just getting funnier and funnier. Oh. Uh, then we get the, the, the funny guy. Which one's the funny guy? We get the, the Korea story. It's just brutal, isn't it? It's just, this is seriously just a brutal scene to watch. That's the worst part because, I mean, I say this as someone who, and I don't think I'm alone in this, you use humour to, tr- as, again, as an icebreaker to just find a bit of common ground or at least ease the, ten- ease, ease the tension. Ease the tension, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and for someone to turn that back on you, oh, you're a funny guy. It's like, oh. <laughs> that's all, that's <laughs> all I've got. I'm, I'm a friendly guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't we be friends? Yeah, so. <laughs> this was great. It was very subtle, but Jerry bails to go to the bathroom. And oh. George and George reaches for him, <laughs> and he just bats him away. That was so great. If that was ad lib, that was just perfect. Just George's look of, oh man, I'm I'm all alone. <laughs> <laughs> Such terrible form abandoning George like that. Oh yeah, terrible, absolutely terrible. Jerry's a shit friend. So George, he then praises uh, Mr. Bennis's book, Fair Game. So, so he praises the book. Mr. Bennis is, is drivel. George agrees with him, and then he gets offended. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for leaving me alone with him. That was brutal. I can't go back out there. Well, let's just leave. Elaine will kill me. Where is she? She's got to be here soon. 
How could she leave us alone with this lunatic? <laughs> Ten more minutes, and that's it. I'm leaving. I have to tell you, this guy scares me. The waiter was trembling. <laughs> she doesn't show up. We can't possibly have dinner with him alone. How are we going to get out of it? We'll say we're frightened, and we have to go home. <laughs> yeah, that's good. He'd clunk our heads together like Mo. <laughs> I don't know. Just start scratching. Tell him you have the crabs. He was in the military. <laughs> How great was it? Tell him you got crabs. He was in the he was in the war. You'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> we then get some stand up, and he's talking about how a man's attitude changes once he becomes a parent. He feels like he's almighty and powerful. And I will say that you do, to an extent, you do feel like you feel like you've entered well, because you have. You've entered this next stage of life, but you feel like you you don't have to care anymore. I've, ever since I've become a dad. I've just lost interest in caring what people think about me, what I'm wearing, what I'm doing, what I say. <laughs> it's just like, ah, shut up. <laughs> yeah, the hell with the world. I can create my own people. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. So they're back now with Mr. Bennis and he's, you know, lying about discussing with his uncle about his operation about the bone marrow. And this is where Elaine delivers them. Well, she doesn't deliver the message. She, she calls up and says she's going to be 30 minutes late. We don't know why just yet. But um, yeah, just <laughs> brutal. We come back from commercial and they're ending the conversation talking about Castro and how they should have killed him when they had the chance. And then Mr. Bennett says, it's time to leave for the Pakistani restaurant. He's going to go to the bathroom first. And this is where George is like, all right, let's bail. Now, if you were in this situation, <laughs> would you just bail? No, I've, I've, I've already committed uh, too much time, too much energy. And <laughs> I, get the, it, I get the feeling if this guy was going to shit talk me to Elaine or whoever... And here's the thing, I don't even know who the whoever are, but the fact that there are words out there about me going, oh, I met Elaine's friends, idiots, and you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't care who he's talking to, people that I'll never meet, people whose opinion means nothing to me. The fact that those words are still out there floating in the ether would still hurt me. And um, <laughs> if he could add more fuel to their fire by saying, and then they left, you know, they ran out, the cowards, like that Korean funny guy or whatever. Um, yeah, that would be even worse. So, no, I think at that stage it would be a whole sunk cost fallacy thing and I'm just going to stick it out. You know, it would be the most uncomfortable meal ever, but at least I didn't chicken out. I didn't tap out. How great is it when Elaine arrives and says, where's dad? And George is <laughs> like, he's in the bathroom. <laughs> That's classic Jason Alexander. So good. Oh, it's just, it's just perfect. It really, really is great. Elaine <laughs> is late, we find out, because she got sucked into helping Kramer. Kramer apparently now owes thousands of uh, dollars in back tickets, which is why his car got towed. It wasn't necessarily because he was double parked. It was because he owed all those thousands of dollars in uh, in back tickets. And it was, it was quite the story, wasn't it? It was like, it was just, it just escalated. Where have you been? Kramer, that Kramer. I'm just about to leave. He calls me up. He begs me to sit in his car for two minutes so he can pick up these birds. Oh, you didn't. Well, he said he'd drive me here right after. So I am sitting in his car for 20 minutes. He doesn't come down. I am freezing. Then a cop comes by, tells me to get out of the car. He's a city marshal. He's towing the car away. Kramer owes thousands of dollars in back tickets. He was going to tow it with me in the car. So they towed the car. Now I am standing outside and I am freezing, but I cannot leave because I got to tell him what happened to the car. So finally, he finally, he comes down with this giant cage filled with doves. He said he was getting special instructions that each dove has a different diet. So we're wandering around trying to get a cab when two of these doves fly out. Now we're running down the street after these doves. I almost got hit by a bus. It's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> just, yeah, the two minutes turns into 20 minutes and yeah, just an absolute Kramer clusterfuck. <laughs> what, what's, great, what's great about it is that in another sitcom, that would have been like an entire act of the episode. But oh, yeah. It's, because of Seinfeld, they just get um, Elaine to just tell the story in the space of like 30 seconds and that's it. But you can just picture oh. in your mind what was going down. Yeah, and even at this early stage of the, of the series... You know, we're only well. How many episodes were there in this first season? Six, five, five. Or five, six? five so this is yeah. the eight. So we're episode. we're eight episodes into the show, and there's already sort of we've already got enough of an understanding about these characters, about the way they view the world and the way they act in the world. That yeah, you don't need to see this. I mean, it's interesting enough hearing it, hearing it from Julie, Julia Louis Dreyfus. Anything is, 
But uh, you know, you've also got enough of a picture of Kramer in your mind that go, yeah, this this is this scans. This makes sense. <laughs> they uh, they pretend that the the whole night hasn't been an issue at all because that's been quite the story from Elaine. She's been through some shit. Uh, Mister Bennett arrives again, and immediately he's just intimidating to Elaine. Who's the lipstick for? Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> um, he finds out that uh, Elaine is working for Pendant. Those bastards. He's just a horrible person. <laughs> just upset about everything isn't yeah. he there's no no joy in his life whatsoever no 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 he says let's go to the pakistani restaurant on 46 questions if they're afraid of some spice it's like he just gets a kick out of just making or being cruel to to, to jerry oh, and yeah. george isn't it absolutely <laughs> george starts singing the song pipe down Qu- chorus boy With boy and jason alexander turning to, to jerry like, Chorus boy. <laughs> Even he can't believe it. And this is where uh, Elaine points out that it's snowing outside. Jerry panics because he goes, wait, no snow is bad for suede. What do I do? Turns the jacket inside out. And as soon as that happens, it's like that's the moment everyone in the audience who was watching the show live was just waiting for. He knew it was going to come mm. back. And you knew that Mr. Bennis would not approve of this flamboyant lining. <laughs> what the hell are you calling? I turned my jacket inside out. Well, you look like a damn fool. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a new suede jacket. Might get ruined. Well, you're not walking down the street with me and my daughter dressed like that. That's for damn sure. I'm glad, because I know this was 1991. I'm glad he said fool. Because I wouldn't put it past the show to say in 1991, you look fruity or something along those lines. Mm. And it would not have aged well if they did. <laughs> no, no. So we're now at Joe's apartment. Uh, Elaine arrives, Kramer walks in, he's asking for some mini Ritz, just a reason to get Kramer into the apartment. He asks about the jacket and it's now absolutely just destroyed, isn't it? Going back to the the story of of my lovely suede jacket, the one thing I bought when I also bought the jacket was, yeah, a can of that, uh, yeah, treatment stuff. You know, you spray it all over and it gives it a little bit of protection against against rain or snow or anything like that. And I think if you're going to throw down that kind of money, yeah, you have to make the investment in maintenance as well as um, <laughs> you have to buy the added extras. <laughs> it's an unfortunate thing about uh, yeah buying something pricey, keeping it. Yeah, the upkeep is just as costly. If you're spending a thousand dollars on a, on a jacket, right? Surely you can brave the cold for five blocks and just hold it in your hands inside out. I reckon you would. Yes. <laughs> uh- <laughs> Look, I, I ain't putting that jacket on in the snow if I'm spending a thousand dollars on it. Have you ever spent a thousand dollars on an item of clothing? On clothing, no, oh, not on one particular item of clothing. I think I, at some stage, I went crazy at the, um, at the suit shop, you know, and bought the bought the suit. Had to have the suit sort of altered and tailored, and then they were like, "Oh, for this amount, we'll also throw in this amount of shirts." And it's like, how could I lose? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've come this far. They are nice shirts. It's going to round it up to that amount. It may, it, I don't think it was $1,000, but it was close to it. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like um, <laughs> cost per wear or whatever, yeah, I think that investment has paid for itself over time. But yeah, at the time I was like, ooh, I'm in the big leagues now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elaine says that her dad had a good time. Yeah, Jerry reminds him of a person from Korea. However, he thinks George is gay because of all the singing. No, not because of all the singing. He just thinks everyone is gay. And sort of, <laughs> they imply, I get it, it was just part of the humor back then, but that's implied as a negative, isn't it? Mm. Do you think that would also be used now in comedy, implied as a negative like this? Or do you think they would just leave that out? I think they would prob... I don't think they'd leave it out. Oh, um, I think some comedies probably would because, you know... Uh, is it worth the effort? <laughs> is yeah. it worth it? Is it worth the Twitter shitstorm that I'm going to have to put up with by people who either and forgive me for sounding like <laughs> like uh, Elaine's father here, either take it the wrong way or take it too much to heart or can't take a joke or whatever. I think if you're going to do it, I think you would have to make it a little more explicit that uh, Elaine's dad is probably in the wrong or at the very least. You know, has got values that are out of touch with today's sort of modes of thinking. So I didn't feel especially offended by it, or it, it, to me, it didn't even, no, it didn't even stick out all that much, as opposed to say other gags on other, or even on other shows. But uh, man, we're, we're in season twelve of The Simpsons. There's far worse shit than that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this just struck me as kind of like, 
Yeah, yeah, guys from the for- guys just, from the forties and fifties. Yeah, someone who was in World yeah. War Two and drinks whiskey and writes novels about war or whatever he's written about yeah, would probably think, oh, yeah, everyone's gay these days. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's probably mm. middle aged fuckers out there going, oh, Jesus, who isn't transgender these days? So Kramer asks for the jacket. He actually prefers it this way. He likes it. He's, he's, he's quite a fan. Elaine suggests, you know, why don't you turn it inside out? Oh, of course. I'll know that for next time because she was obviously always already outside when they had the conversation. Kramer says, it's too bad that you already gave me the other jacket as well. Like, what a shit friend. Give the jacket back. I'm sorry, mate. yeah. That, <laughs> see, if we're talking about stuff that's offensive in this episode, that's more offensive. Yeah. You, don't get, you don't get two jackets for, for nothing and, and sort of act like you've got this great deal here. Give the original jacket back to your friend. Jerry doesn't look bad in his old Letterman jacket, but poor form on Kramer's part. Then we cut to, to end the episode, Mr. Bennis singing the master of the house in the car. So when he's by himself, there's no one else around to see him. He also joins in singing the song. It just shows it gets stuck in your head. And we end up with some stand-up of uh, Jerry questioning whether cows get worried when it rains because it will ruin their leather uh, coat. So, yes, all in all, I really, really enjoyed this. There was a whole lot of nothing, but it was just enjoyable from start to finish. That scene, everything that happened at the restaurant, whether it was in the bathroom or just sitting down having a drink with Mr. Bennis, I just thought was just hilarious from start to finish. It was a whole lot of nothing, but it was really something. Yes, yes, it was fantastic. So, thumbs up Seinfeld this week. Hope you enjoyed, guys. Don't forget to let us know what you think of the uh, of the episode as well as the podcast. Right into talkingseinfeld at gmail.com. Next week, Mr. Davis, we're going to be reviewing an episode called The Phone Message. Ooh. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> um, look, I, I imagine it's going to involve a, a missed call on the telephone, um, a message that is left, but beyond that is anybody's guess. I feel like it's going to be... And the Seinfeld fans out there saying, how do you not know what the episode's going to be? But that's the beauty of this podcast. We've got, we're, we're, re- we're retracking. We are, we have, we've just sort of, we haven't revisited the show in a while. And I think George is going to leave a message and he's going to want to try and somehow get it deleted before that person listens to it. Just, it sounds like a George scheme to me, don't you? It does, it does. I mean, the one thing that I think of when I think of phone messages is um, uh, George sort of using his answering machine message to the, uh, to the tune of the Greatest American Hero theme. I don't know if that's in this episode. It may be in a future episode, but uh, I, I look forward to finding out. It's funny, younger listeners are going, answering machine? What the hell is that? <laughs> but thank you guys so much again for listening to Talking Seinfeld. Don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, you may also enjoy our other free podcast. We've got Tales of Futurama, four-figure discount, where we discuss every episode of The Simpsons, Take It Like a Mandalorian, and more. All available right now at fourfigurediscount.com.au. But for now, I am Dando, Mr. Davis. Any final words for the listeners? I'm off to the bathroom. <laughs>